0: hello and good morning everybody
1: hello hello this is august turek i'm terribly sorry for being late Uh
0: oh there's no No. such thing as being late never i don't believe in that at all i believe in being in the moment of right now
1: oh my god i was uh, i got i just got confused i'm sorry
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah but when you live when you live in mindfulness and you're living in the presence of right now there's no such thing as late is there because you're in your now
1: Oh, I don't know about that. We'll have to debate that somewhere. I mean... (laughs) I, I still believe that in this relative dimension, there's a thing called being rude. And
0: <laughs> well, I, I love your new book, Not Less Than Everything, One Man's Quest for Spiritual Enlightenment. And I love the way you put one man. And, and, the, and the reason why is because my first book was called One Man's 1,021 Thoughts. It's like we've lived this life. Now we want to share it. We want to share what we've picked up along the way.
1: Absolutely. That's the reason I wrote the book.
0: To get into that mindset and mode. I mean, that's living life and then being transparent when you put it on the page.
1: Absolutely. You know, so, uh, yeah, the best uh, feedback that I've gotten so far, and it's only been out, you know, we had some pre-orders, so some people got it a little bit early and um, I've gotten some feedback that it's authentic and that's the highest compliment that I can get. One guy wrote to me and he said, I was expecting a, hey, look at me book. He said, and I got something completely different, a really, really uh, honest, honest, authentic book. And, and that's the highest praise I could possibly get.
0: Walking with the weight of depression. I, my, my granddaughter is suffering from this, and now her friend has, has you know, invited herself into that kind of a thing. When you walk with the weight of depression, and you being at MTV, I had it when I was at I, I Heart Radio. How did you make it through those moments? Did, did you put on the plastic candy-coated bathroom mirror smile?
1: Yes. Well, you, you know what I. You know what I used to do. This, it's funny that you'd ask that question. That's the first time anybody's ever asked me that question. What I. It was a. It was a, a teeth gritting I, I fundamentally told myself that it was like getting a really bad cold. Yeah. And uh. And so you wouldn't change your life decisions and go off in another direction because you had a really bad cold. You just weather the cold and wait till it goes away, right? Mm-hmm. And for many many years, that's what I used to do. Was just uh. uh you know. Just. Grit my teeth, and uh, but as, as, of course, as the book progresses. Um, they became more um, severe, more long lasting until finally when I broke my ankle in that skydiving accident, the whole house of cards collapsed mm-hmm. in and it became it became a permanent state, um, at least until I had my spiritual experience. As I mentioned at the end of the book, I haven't had a moment's depression in 25 years now. Wow. So, uh, um, you know, or anxiety or anything, but just I hate to use the word because it's terrible, but bliss. Yeah. So, uh, um So, you know, I'm hoping also that, um, you know, to help certain people, I don't want to practice medicine without a license, but I never took medical, um, never took antidepressant pills and I managed to overcome depression through spirituality. So I don't know whether, you know, uh, I don't know whether it's going to work for you or not, but I think there are people out there that could overcome depression by, you know, uh, because there's some reason why so many more of us today are depressed than were depressed 50 years ago. Yeah. Um there's an epidemic of depression. So it can't all be pharmacological in my opinion.
0: Right, right. I found my spirituality in martial arts as well as Native American spirituality and, and it's one of those things it's like, okay, if I talk about this in public, they're gonna think I'm weird. So how did you find the confidence to be so open with it?
1: Um, you know, that's a, no, boy, you're really pretty good at this. Uh, that's a really, that's another excellent question. You know, I, I was talking to somebody else on an interview the other day and I said, when I was just a kid, something inside of me clicked in. Um, I'll tell you a real quick story. When I was a kid, I was really into Christmas and I really, yes. really wanted to do Christmas caroling. So when I was about seven or eight years old, I decided, I talked to all the kids in my neighborhood, well, four or five of my boyfriends and going into, um, a Christmas Carolyn. And at the last minute They all backed out And I went by myself <laughs> Shouting at the top of my lungs Crying at the same time Because I was miserable But I realized When I looked back At that episode That I was The, uh, it was a, the reason why I got It was a real slap in the face Was First, I realized that if I was going to live my life the way I wanted to live it, I couldn't wait on other people to join me. And second of all, I was going to have to have the guts to to go against that grain. But the third reason why I think I I was crying was there was an inkling that this was going to mean being lonely. Uh, This was going to be going alone, going against the grain a lot. So I made up my mind as a child that I was going to... uh, if i had to go against the grain i was going to go against the grain and i think another part of it is that i say early in my book that the best spirituality is inspiration and desperation yes. what were my cho- what were my choices <laughs> what choice what choice what choice do I that I, I, I really have and when you want when you realize that community is as important as I do you know Richard Rose that Zen teacher that, I, that takes up about the first half of my book always pounding the table about the importance of community yes you have to have fellow seekers to keep you on reminded to keep you on you know it's like having a group of people to, uh, friends to go to the gym with if you have friends that will go to the gym with you you're 10,000 times more likely that you're going to go to the gym and um so if you want to have other people, then you've got to become somewhat public. And yeah, I've taken a lot of heat uh, over the years, um, you know, for it. Um, I was working with those college students over at Duke, and it's not in my book. And business—I mean, not less than everything—but a lot about that Duke students is. But the like my, my counselor over at Duke came to me, who um, who was the head of the Duke Chapel, and he said, oh, he, he said, "I got called into a, a faculty meeting about you." uh Oh you know, you're, you're, you're embarrassing a lot of people on this campus. There's a lot of people making uh, a campus uh, counselors, campus ministers who are failing miserably and they, and they're relying on the fact that kids are apathetic and you're proving them wrong. And so they're deciding that you're feeding them. You must be, you must be doing a cult leader. Uh You must be feeding them. You must be feeding them the Kool-Aid. He said, uh, rather than rather than coming to you and saying, Hey, what works for you? Maybe I could work for me. He said, they're going to put your, you know, they're going to put you on the cross. He said, you got to get, you got to incorporate, you got to get a nonprofit corporation. you got to get people on your board of directors. You know, you got to buy some, some insurance. <laughs> you know, he said, because you don't even realize it, but your ass is hanging out a mile. Yeah. So, um, and, and the other thing I realized so much with working with college students is that, is that, um, I was also taking risks because I was, I I didn't keep that wall, um, that, that, that they tell you you should do. I I was, I got down and dirty with the kids and they were sharing their most intimate ideas and things like that. And just one kid decides that when I'm talking about intimacy and they decide I want that, that that some girl decides that sexual, I mean, sexual intimacy. Mm -hmm. And the next thing you know, I got a lawsuit and I've lost all the money in the world Mm -hmm. or or, or worse. So you got to take these risks. Um, you know, Father Francis told us at the monastery one time, and he was talking about Christianity, but I would say it's the same about spirituality, which Richard Rose, my Zen teacher, said the same thing. There is something fundamentally countercultural about authentic spirituality.
0: I was going to say you're so right about that because I mean I mean you and I are wearing the same shoes, but we we get in trouble for for carrying forward. And it's not that I was preaching; it's just that I was sharing. Hey, try this. If you work this here and you have enough patience, it, it'll start developing in your life. But you're gonna have to be faithful to it.
1: Absolutely, and you know, and the other thing is, is that whether you like it or not, you become a witness. Yep. Um, you know, you're you're you're, you're fundamentally saying. Um, you know, and I saw this in my own teachers, you know, I, I saw, I, you know, because everything about me is self-knowledge. And and I, and I remember when I was working with Richard Rose and he was putting me through a lot of uh, agony and, you know, expecting a lot from me all the time. And and I caught myself thinking to myself, I wish I could catch this SOB <laughs> with his hand in the cookie jar. <laughs> if I could just catch him in his hand in the cookie jar, then I'm off the hook. <laughs> I'm off the, and that's, you know, my other, I won that $100,000 Templeton prize. Why can't I live as selflessly as he's living? Right. So you get to a point where you feel like, man, I wish I could catch that guy with his hand in the cookie jar and I'm off the hook. And this is why I believe that a lot of, 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 of people, we kill our Jesus's, we kill our Martin Luther King's, we kill our uh, Socrateses mm-hmm. because it's, it's too painful I don't know if you've ever read it, but there's a wonderful scene in uh, uh, Plato's uh, Republic with a symposium, it's called, where Alcibiades comes in and they're all drinking and talking about love. And Alcibiades comes in and he's a hotshot young, um, you know, superstar in Athens. And he's drunk and he comes in and he starts going on about how Socrates uh, represents something he can never achieve. And And as a result, he said, he said, he said, he just constantly bothers me, bugs me, you know, you know, I wish he, and he says, I wish he was dead. Uh-oh. And then I think, wait a second, if he was dead, then I'd be even more miserable. So I don't know what to do with the man. And, and, you know, the, so when you're, when you're, uh, when you represent, um, when you put yourself in a position where you're representing higher values or, a, or quote unquote, a better way to live, you end up embarrassing a lot of other people. Mm-hmm. And they either, have to, they either have to decide that you're drinking the Kool-Aid or feeding other people the Kool-Aid, or they may have to look in the mirror and say, wait a second, if he can do it, maybe I can too. And, and that's, so, you be, so regardless of whether you want to or not, um, the Jesuses in the world, the Socrates, of the world are confrontational to other people. Martin Luther King, car, confrontational, and people don't like confrontation, right. even if you, you don't even have to be intending to do it. You just tell, you know, um, you're saying, here's what worked in my life, and you're, you know, and they say, hey, let's let's go. Uh, uh, I remember when I was in prep school, I had a friend that always wanted me to go lift weights with him, and I didn't want to go lift weights, so I was always trying to talk him out of of lifting weights, so I became like this Satan. No, 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 let's not do it. I wanted him to not go lift weights. Because every time, but he, every time he would just say, "Nope, nope, I'm going." Well, if you're not going, I'm—I don't care because I'm going, and I'd be so mad at him because <laughs> he went anyway, and I didn't, and I wouldn't go. You know, so that's this is the same type of thing that happens, um, and it, and I think this is one of the reasons why we want to we want to pull if we can't rise up to the level of other these people that we admire we want to pull them down to our level
0: that's every bit the reason why i keep a defrag journal where, where i go in there and ask myself the questions and then i question myself when it comes to the answers because i've got to figure out am i sitting here playing this keeping up with the joneses do or do i have a situation here so i love breaking it down and books like this give me the opportunity to find the confidence to say hey look get rid of the fear and the and and the the, the things that you have that are that have have died in your life and just get a concept of reality going in your heart
1: i think you're absolutely right and i think you just put your finger on the key you know and i used to tell my my students and this goes back to my to, to the some of the um i don't know if you remember the story If you, i don't know if you've read my whole book but there was this psychologist who really just read read me the riot act mm-hmm. um at that at that A Monroe Institute and he told me things that I still to this day have no idea how he knew all the things he knew but earlier the only other thing he ever said to me that whole weekend is I was sitting with some students and they asked me something I don't remember what they asked me and I said the key to spirituality and in some ways the key to life is turning into the fear rather than turning away from the fear and all of a sudden he was walking going somewhere and he stuck his head right into the middle of that conversation and he said he's absolutely right I left that out, that story out of my book, but you turn into the fear. You go into the fear. Yep. Whether it was in business, as soon as somebody said you can't do that, you know that that can't be done, then 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 my attitude, I had to gr- drew, um, school myself. Watch me, watch me. I, you know, I, I you know I, I'll do it. I'll do it anyway. Um, just like the way I got my job in construction, and I talk about in the book. I went to that union hall and I, it was construction and they said there was no work. And I asked if I could stop by it and see if there was work. What I didn't even realize when I left out of the book is that there was a mafia. It was all Italian. It was mobbed up. And that's why the, that's why the window that I was coming to see this woman at was, was bulletproof glass. <laughs> and, uh, and so, but I just kept coming back and coming back and coming back and coming back until that woman finally said, I got to get you to talk to somebody. And I and I got a job as this blue-eyed, uh, you know, um, non-Italian guy. Uh, Helped maybe that I was Catholic, but anyway, <laughs> I, I got a, I ended up uh, working with all these Italian guys in, in this um, in this union um, that was completely controlled by the mafia. Because I just they just admired my stick to itness, and I would come back again and again and again. Um, You have to have that kind of of tenacity. This is why Mr. Mr. Rose was constantly talking. I talk about it in the book so much. It isn't the prayer or the meditation technique or whether you eat meat or, you know, those aren't important things. How determined are you? Yes. How much character do you have? When the, when the, when the pressure comes down, do you make a, do you do the right thing? Do you do the spiritual thing or do you do the convenient thing? Do you do the thing that, you know, do you go with the flow and go with the, what everybody would do? And do you, do you, everything I've done and accomplished in my life is because I didn't do the smart. I didn't take the safe bet. Mm-hmm. I didn't do the smart thing. Um, I went against the grain. I did what I thought was the right thing. And it's, so it's character. You know, and in the end, in the end of my book, when I'm t- working with that psychologist David again, after my spiritual experience at the end of Not Less Than Everything, um, he, he uh, I'm crying in his office out of gratitude, and I said, "It's all grace, David. It's all grace." I said, "I never could have done anything to earn what God gave me in that okay. experience I had in Baltimore." And he got real quiet for a minute, and then he said, "Yes, it is all grace, but you asked for it." You spent your entire life asking for it," he said. "What happened to you is not something that happens to an or typically happens to an ordinary person on their way to the grocery store for a quart of milk." You know, you know. What Rose said earlier in the book. He said, "It's not the prayer you say; it's the prayer you live."
0: Yep, 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 yep. So true. You,
1: it's the prayer you live. Um, it's 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 the the cliche way of saying it. in Seeker circles is living the life you got to live the life. Yeah, yeah. And you make the tough decisions. you got to make the tough decisions.
0: I'm with Elevation Church. The I wanted to be in my own e-group leadership role. And I kept saying, why, why am I not there? Why are they not looking at me? Why can't I do this? Why can't I do this? And I turned and I looked to God and I said, well, can you please put me in a place where I can affect people's lives? I got a job at a grocery store, and man, I'll tell you what, you talk about community and learning how to basically listen to the art of being a human being.
1: Abs- absolutely. You know, remember in the early in my, and Not Less Than Everything, Richard Rose has me straightening nails. Yes. We're, we're tearing down a house, and he's a hundred-year-old house, and I'm straightening out the hundred-year-old nails all day long so we can reuse the... Things, you know, and as I said in my book, I said it wouldn't be worth 25 cents if they were new and they were all rusted away. And later I said, I said, I, I learned more. I, I'll tell you a quick story that isn't in my book. Um, uh, there was a, one of my students at one point in time. His name was Josh. Doesn't matter. Uh, I gave my t- a, a talk on if I ca- called it five years with his end master. I still give it occasionally. He walked up afterwards and he told me he got into a keto when he was nine years old. And by the time he was 14, he was really good at it. And all he cared about was Aikido. And when he graduated from high school, he had heard that all the great Aikido masters were in Japan. So he saved up some money and he took a one-way ticket to Tokyo. When he got to Tokyo, he went to all the dojos and all the people at the dojos told him the greatest Aikido master had a monastery up in the very Northern part of, of Japan. And somehow he took a bus up there. And when he got there, he, he went to the gate and they said, go away. So he came back every day for like two weeks or something until finally uh, they arranged for him to see the master. And he goes to see the master and the master says, uh, you're not worthy to be my student. Ooh. He said, but we'll let, you, we'll let you work in the kitchen. And and he said that for the next four months or six months, I can't remember, all he did was work work in the kitchen. And also, there was no running water in the monastery. So each of the students, the real students, that were working under the master had their own room and they had a bucket in there that they urinated in and defecated in. Mm. And it was Josh's job to clean those buckets. And he said, on top of everything else, um, he said that the master would do everything he could think of to make his life miserable. He'd be serving the rice. To all the other uh, students and the master at dinner, and he would grab his by the head and he would shove his face into the Ooh. into the into, into the rice just to amuse all the other monks, you know. Finally, after six months or whatever, uh, the master calls him in and uh, and says, you know, you've earned your place. You're you know you're going to be one of my students from now on. And Josh looked at me and he said, and you know, he said he turned out to be the everything they said he was. He was the greatest. He's the greatest keto master in the world. He said, but you know what? And I interrupted him. And I said, yes, I know what. And he looked at me with these big eyes, and I said, you got more out of the six months with your face in the rice (laughs) than you did out of the actual work with the master. (laughs) And he said, oh, my God, Augie, how did you know that? I said, because I lived it.
0: Yep, yep. Yep, wow.
1: I wrote an article for Forbes I said are you coachable? The 5 steps to coachability, which by the way your uh, listeners can find it on Forbes under my name. Um and and that's what I people are constitutionally Americans are constitutionally un uncoachable. Yep. They, they won't put up with anything they won't listen to the teacher they won't you know every time we go to the movies we love to, to see um, Yoda screaming don't try do <laughs> we love to see Morpheus kicking the living snot out of Neo and the you know uh, and and having him do face plants off of buildings, you know, before he learns how to, you know, and all these movies, you know, or, 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 or the karate kids, you yep. know, wax on, wax off, wax on, wax off. Every single one of these masters and all these movies we go to see or first class SOBs.
0: <laughs>
1: you know, the devil wears Prada. Mm-hmm. You know, she 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 goes to the fiery furnace because Meryl Streep makes her life miserable. <laughs> and she emerges the other side a superstar that can do twenty things at one time. So and pretty. and get the latest Harry Potter book before it's even published. And, and and you know, but when it comes, as soon as you put up any um, uh, with modern Americans, though, as soon as the teacher asks them to do anything at all, you know, that that seems counterintuitive, um, and that's what I started my article. I said I went and took golf lessons, and I said that the every single thing that my uh, my golf game was horrific. I said I started taking golf lessons, and everything that the golf pro asked me to do felt wrong. Mm-hmm felt completely wrong. Anybody who's ever started playing golf or, or I, by that time at least I was comfortable with the grip. But if you start playing golf, the very first thing they teach you is the grip. Nothing feels more wrong than the golf grip the first time you try it. <laughs> you you feel like you could never hit even hold the club let alone hit a golf ball with it. <laughs> so everything at a golf everything the golf pro tries to get you to do. And I said interestingly enough I said he said that I want to, Augie he said, I want to give you a, and by the way, he would just come off the pro tour. So he was a PGA, he was a true PGA professional. And he said, I want to give you a, a, a low energy, repeatable, effortless, you know, energy, you know, golf swing. Oh, that's great. And I lost 25 pounds working with the guy. Wow. And so, so, because in everything felt wrong and you, but, but I had faith and I listened to my coach and I did what he asked me, even though it didn't feel right at the time. And then later on, I have the great epiphany. Oh, <laughs> now I know what he was talking about. <laughs> and meanwhile, I took my game from 115 to 80 in six months. You know, but people people working spiritually, they want they, you know they you know the first time you ask them to do anything that doesn't feel right, right? They're gone.
0: Yep. 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 They walk away. They walk away. Where can people go to find out more about you to get into your, uh, writing? Because I mean, you, you're definitely an inspiration and an influence because we are leadership less right now. And we need people like yourself to, to, you know, get into our head and heart and help us grow forward.
1: Thank you very much. Well, first of all, the name of the book we're talking about today is Not Less Than Everything, yep. One Man's Quest for Spiritual Enlightenment. You can find out uh, that book and uh, a lot more about me than you probably care to know <laughs> at augustturak.com. That's one word, August like the month, Turak, T is in Tom, U-R-A-K. I have two other books. One is called Business Secrets of the Trappist Monks. One, CEO's Quest for Meaning and Authenticity. And I have Brother John, a Monk, a Pilgrim, and the Purpose of Life. And they're all available on Amazon or Walmart or, or all, all those places. So um, you can all, you can find them all there as well. So, yeah, it's augustturek.com. And, by the way, right now we're offering uh, not less than everything for fifty percent off, wow. if you call there, and and you can also get not less than everything, the electronic version for a limited time on Amazon for ninety nine cents. Wow! So uh, wow. So, uh, go, you know, go, you know, Amazon's doing a special promotion. Um, and uh, by the way, it is are the number one new book on Amazon in uh, not less than everything is the number one new book on in mysticism and spirituality on Amazon right now.
0: I love it. I love it. you got to come back to this show anytime in the future, August. You've got a place on this stage.
1: I'm, uh, I I really enjoyed it. By the way, I, I have to say again, you really asked some great questions today that I've never heard before. And um, so, so I really want to congratulate you for that. Really enjoyed it. Every single second, really enjoyed it.
0: Thank you. Well, you be brilliant today, okay?
1: All right. God bless you, man.